Hey there, everyone. This is Greg Schutz for ReadyForTheDraft.com, and this is the Ready for the Draft podcast, episode 36 of the 2020 podcast series, getting you ready for the NFL draft. We're just days away, April 23rd, all virtual NFL draft, first of its kind. Again, yes, it's going to be a lot like your online fantasy football draft. We've already had some technical difficulties. The league ran kind of a mock draft. They already ran into some issues there. We know that there are going to you know, be those potential you know, technical difficulties. You know, If you've ever been on a Skype or a Zoom call, you know that that's bound to happen. Hopefully these teams will be able to figure out where the mute button is as well, especially if they're having some of those conversations. Uh, you don't want to necessarily... You know, forget about that mute button and, and have a, a conversation that uh, you don't want someone to overhear. So, you know, when we look at this draft, it's so funny how we get so close to the draft itself and suddenly the rumors start coming out. The rumor mill, the latest is, is that now Kansas City may be trading up for Henry Ruggs. It seems like everybody's making a play for Henry Ruggs. The San Francisco 49ers are going to make a play. Denver's going to trade up to get him. Uh, you know, all these different teams supposedly targeting Henry Ruggs. The more and more we look at this, Henry Ruggs could end up being the number one wide receiver taken in the draft. When you got a guy who's running a 4-2-7-40, you've seen what Tyreek Hill has meant to KC with that, that explosive speed on the outside. And, you know, for as dominant as CeeDee Lamb can be there at OU and Jerry Judy being the consistent uh, playmaker with the route running ability and, and some of that explosiveness, you can't teach that 4-2-7-40. And, and, you know, that that sub-4-3 speed coupled with the 42-inch vertical leap, a guy that makes plays down the field, a touchdown every 4.08 receptions, you know, a guy who just makes plays down the football field, also able to take a, a screen or a quick pass and, and turn it into a big play, you know, look, you know, Mar- Marquise Brown, you know, not everyone was expecting him to be the number one wide receiver taken in the draft. Look what happened. He ended up going number 15 overall to the Ravens. And I think if if you're ultimately talking about Henry Ruggs being the number one receiver, he's going to have to come off the board, you know, probably in the top 10 because, you know, I, I think you're going to have to see someone more than likely trade up to get him. I think the Jets have talked about, you know, they, they've said that the Jets are talking about and the Raiders are talking about and the 49ers. So that's 11, 12, and 13. I still have him going to the Broncos. Reason being, I, I look at, at Drew Locke, and I've said this before, when he was at Mizzou, he had a guy by the name of Emmanuel Hall. When Emmanuel Hall was healthy, this is a guy who just, he, he couldn't stay healthy. But when he was healthy, he was a threat on the outside, a guy that just got vertical and... Whenever Drew Locke needed a big play, that's where he went. That was his security blanket. He loved to be able to to drop the ball in. I mean, he threw that deep ball with accuracy. The touch allowed Hall to run underneath the ball, make a play in stride, and get down the football field. I'm looking at Henry Ruggs. That's what they're missing in Denver, and Ruggs can be that guy. You know, and, and so that's one of the things that I'm looking at there. I, I would absolutely say that it makes a ton of sense for us to to pencil in Henry Ruggs there to. Uh, to, to Denver. Again, I said pencil in. We're not going to go ahead and put it in ink or anything like that. I'm not guaranteeing that that's going to happen. There are a lot of other teams that could potentially trade up and get Henry Ruggs III. You know, the Jets sitting there at number 11. Look, if if the Browns stay put, they get their offensive tackle at 10, then you can potentially see, um, you know, they're at 11. You know, Henry Ruggs going to the Jets. The Jets need speed at the receiver position. They don't have speed. They've got Quincy Anunwa. They've got, you know, Jamison Crowder. They have Josh Doxson. Um, Brashad Perriman, 
you know, none of those guys are going to be the blazing, you know, be the the blazing speedsters that Henry Ruggs would be. So it's going to be interesting to see exactly how all of that plays out. So what we've been doing the last couple of podcasts has really been taking a look at the draft classes by position and really talking about the stock of some of the players and where I see them coming off the board, uh, what round, and for some even talking about what what team I see them going to. And uh, we, we've done all of the offense. So we started off quarterbacks and running backs. We looked at receivers and tight ends. And then last podcast, we talked about the entire offensive line. So what we're going to do with this podcast is we're going to jump in, take a look at uh, the defensive front, both the defensive ends and defensive tackles. I'm going to get uh, get through at least the first two days of, of the linebacker position as well, uh, which will set up for, for next podcast, uh, which I'm going to go ahead and record tomorrow. Um, that'll be a podcast that's going to be dedicated to the remainder of that, that linebacker class, day three, along with the secondary, both the corners and the safeties. So a lot to cover here. You know, there are a lot of, uh, of defensive ends, D tackles, often, uh, and linebackers that we got to discuss. So we're going to go ahead and jump into things right away. And looking at the defensive end position, obviously you've got Chase Young sitting there with the the number two overall pick. This guy is a game wrecker. I, I don't care what you say uh, about him. Even when he wasn't getting home and filling the stat sheets, you know, I, I heard Mel Kiper Jr. getting on him about the fact that he didn't register a sack or double digit, or I'm sorry, you know, multiple sacks in a game uh, the last three games of the season. But you know, here's here's the deal. You know, and here's where I would disagree with Mel on this: is he was still just as effective in those last three games, uh, you know, against Michigan in the Big Ten Championship, against Wisconsin, and then in the Fiesta Bowl against Clemson. Um, you know what I saw? You know, on one play, Chase Young driving Jalen Mayfield, the right tackle, back off the ball, quickly disengaging, chasing Shea, uh, Shea Patterson from the pocket. Later, one with really quick hands against John Runyon on the other side. Gets a quick hit on Shea Patterson as he's throwing the ball down the field. In the Big Ten Championship, beat the left tackle Cole Van Landon off the edge. Actually hit the arm of quarterback Jack Cohn. Ball popped up in the air. And then in the college football playoff semifinal, Young had his way with uh, with Tremaine Ankrum, the, the right tackle, the undersized right tackle. He's only 6'2". Uh, kept his balance on a cut block. Able to flatten out. Pressure Trevor's, Trevor Lawrence from behind on one play. Then beating Ankrum inside on an option play, held his ground and contained uh, Trevor Lawrence before throwing him down for no gain. So yes, he, he didn't get any, you know, he didn't rack up the sacks, but you know, those were just a couple of plays. And that was really what you saw, you know, play in and play out with Chase Young was being able to affect the play. You don't have to necessarily be the guy that's going to fill up the stat sheet every single game, though, you know, it, it seemed like everyone was expecting that from Chase Young. And, and you know, to that point, he had been doing that. You know, he did get suspended for the two games. And, you know, let's not dwell on that too much. You know, he um, ultimately paid it, you know, paid that back. It was so that his girlfriend could go to the 2018 Rose Bowl, uh, paid a family friend, um, paid pay the family friend back. And so he only got suspended for the two games. Um, you know, and when he came back, it was those last three games. And that's really where you, you didn't always see the level of production that I think everyone was expecting him to play, uh, to showcase. But look, you know, 21 and a, 21 tackles for loss, 16 and a half sacks. Um, you know, a guy that, you know, was a, a game wrecker. You know, that's why he was the fourth, uh, you know, finished fourth in the Heisman. You know, absolutely dominant. Um, you know, teams had to know where this guy was lining up on the field. Um, you know, he's known for his explosive first step quickness, allows him to beat the blockers out of their stance, but really his hands allow him to be elite. 
know, Joey and Nick Bosa were always known for their acceptable, exceptional handwork um, while, with, uh, while with the Buckeyes, and Young, no different. Combination of the club, the swipe, the rip moves to quickly disengage from the offensive tackle. Tremendous power in his hands to attack the chest of the offensive tackle. Get the blocker off balance. Drive him into the backfield. Once he wins with his hands, the flexibility allows him to quickly turn the corner. Dip in that inside shoulder, getting under the offensive tackle's pad level. Hug in the corner. I mean, that's one of the things that you really saw. He flipped his hips, hug in the corner, and get flattened out to the quarterback. So quick to get around that corner. I mean, it was ridiculous. Also attacking the quarterback with an inside rush, whether it's setting up the, the offensive tackle to the outside before quickly planning and crossing the face of the blocker to, to quickly loop or he'll quickly loop around and, and, and get in on a stunt. Um, when he arrives at the quarterback, he's not just looking for a sack. He's looking to change the complexion of the game by attacking the quarterback's arm and swiping the ball free as evidenced by the FBS leading seven forced fumbles. I mean, this guy was just, you had to know where he was on the field at all times because he was, he was coming with bad intentions and he was very difficult to block. You know, and we don't even talk about his ability to get in his hand into passing lanes. Had eight career pass breakups, one of which came against Penn State in 2018, where he read a throw to the tight end in the flat after coming in motion. Uh, showed the ability to get his hand up on that quick throw and make a play on the football. You know, had to make a quick, you know, quick move. Got his hand up, made a play on the ball. Also disruptive against the run. You know, if teams run at him, he'll drive his man into the backfield, get early penetration to disrupt the running back, force him wide. Um, you know, and then Young will also get aggressive on on the zone reads, pinching down, uh, but still showing the ability to get outside and make a play on the quarterback. If teams run away from him, then he uses that speed to chase him, chase down the ball carriers from the backside. You know, teams have to design their game plan around trying to neutralize Young and, and often trying to to use his aggressiveness on the field against him but you know buyer beware you know with with that strategy and so obviously you know number one Cincinnati they're going to take Joe Burrow they need their quarterback of the future for for Zach Taylor but uh any question that Ron Rivera and Jack Del Rio um you know any question about what they're going to do with this pick I, I think you can throw that out the window they're going to go ahead and get Chase Young you know Washington not known as a team that that really was in need of of uh uh, pass rush help necessarily. They have 46 sacks, 10th in the league. Matt Ioannidis led the way with eight and a half sacks. I mean, the defensive end, really an overachiever there, a uh, kid out of Temple. Uh, you know, Montez Sweat, you know, teamed up, you know, looked pretty good there as well. Seven sacks as a, as a rookie. Uh, then Ryan Kerrigan, you know, here, here's the deal. 120 straight games, uh, concussion kept him out of the lineup. Ultimately, a calf injury sent him on IR for the first time. He did manage five and a half sacks. Uh, last season, but look, he's 31 years of age. He's going to be an unrestricted free agent. Um, that's really my biggest concern is, is, you know, okay, what's going to happen with him, you know, and, and really you can't have enough pass rushers. Um, so you, you, you have Chase Young, you have Montez Sweat, you have Ryan Kerrigan, uh, you know, Ryan Anderson, Thomas Davis was brought in by Ron Rivera to have that veteran presence. They're probably you know going to kick inside uh, more than likely, uh, you know, they also have John Bostic, Ruben Foster on the roster, but I think you're talking about those guys playing at inside backer and look, Chase Young, you know, I, I wouldn't be surprised if he lines up at, at the end, you know, uh, for a time, you know, they do have Matt Ioannidis. There is Jonathan Allen as well, but, uh, there isn't a ton of depth at that defensive end position. So you could potentially see Chase Young, Montez Sweat, Ryan Kerrigan all on the field at the same time, rotating through that defensive end position, allowing them to also play at outside linebacker. You can get really creative with this offense. I mean, with this defense, and I think Jack Del Rio is going to take advantage of um, of that depth at that pass rush, um, the edge rusher position. 
So, I, you know, Chase Young, we know, number one defensive end overall. There's no question about that. Who's going to be the number two defensive end coming off the board? Um, you know, is it AJ Epinesa? Is it Yeter Gross Matos? I mean, that's really going to be the, the biggest question more than anything else. And, and to me, I, I think at the end of the day, AJ Epinesa is going to end up being the next guy taken. Um, I, I don't think it'll be too far off because I actually have them going back to back picks. I have Epinesa actually going to. Um, going to Minnesota with the 25th overall pick. Um, you know, when you lose, um, I'm sorry, actually, I thought I had him going there. Where do I actually have Epinesa? I had Epinesa going 25 and I changed that up um, because I think Minnesota's actually taking Antoine Winfield. So I actually have him going 27 overall to Seattle. And, and the reason why I have him going to Seattle, you know, Minnesota makes sense because Everson Griffin wasn't there. That's a, a potential landing spot for Epinesa. But I think in Seattle, uh, you know, the uncertainty with Jadavion Clowney, you know, what's going to happen there. LJ Collier didn't do much in his rookie season. Um, you know, and this is a team, look, they only had 28 sacks a season ago. I mean, that's when you brought in Clowney and you had Ziggy Ansah on the roster and they still couldn't pressure, uh, pressure the quarterback. You bring in Bruce Irvin. He had success there in Seattle when, when he first came into the league and we'll see if, if, uh, he can do that again for them. Um, you know, it's going to be, it's really going to be interesting to see how everything plays out. Epinesa, this is a guy really, you know, was a five-star prospect coming to, to Iowa City. I think it was the highest ranked prospect there for the Iowa Hawkeyes. In 2018, he really had his breakout season. Backing up Anthony Nelson and Parker Hesse, still managed to lead the Big Ten in sacks with 10 and a half. As a junior, slow start, no doubt about that. People were worried, managed just three and a half sacks through his first eight games, poured it on with that production to close out the season when it counted um, you know, with, with 10 and a half sacks. Uh, I'm sorry. Yeah. 10 and a half sacks to finish out the year. Um, you know, what, what's concerning is, is when you do watch him play, you know, this is a guy who's very, you know, very stiff at, at times, the hips, um, you know, some stiffness there, especially when he's trying to turn the corner, the 504 40 at the combine didn't do him any favors as well. So if you're looking for that, that lightning quick edge rusher coming off the end, um, I, I he's definitely not your guy. Um, but he's going to bring you technique. He's going to bring you power. He's going to bring you excellent hands and a motor that never quits. And you know, put on that game of the Holiday Bowl against USC, and you'll see what I'm talking about. This was a guy that uh, when Austin Jackson beat him with speed, you know, he was he was neutralized. But if AJ Epinesa could could win off the ball with his hands and some of that power, then he was creating that soft edge. Was making it very difficult for Keaton Slovis. Ultimately, knocked him from the game on a on a strip sack. So Epinesa, I think Seattle, that makes a ton of sense to me. And then you just go a couple of picks later to number 29 overall, and I've got the Titans taking each of gross mottos uh, out of Penn State. The big, imposing 6'5", 266-pounder. Um, what I really like here is, you know, obviously Harold Landry had nine sacks a season ago. Vic Beasley signed to a one-year $9.5 million contract, but it feels like he's a one-year rental. Mike Vrabel wants a guy who's going to be versatile. Gross Matos can line up on the outside. He can line up inside, put his hand in the dirt. Whatever you need him to do, this guy's going to be able to do it. Not only does he have the size, he's got an 82 and a, and a quarter inch wingspan as well that he really uses that length to his advantage. Uh, you see that punch um, keeping the 
the offensive lineman at bay, although that punch sometimes is lacking, which will allow the tackle to get his hands into his frame. Uh, does use a variety of rips and swims to win inside. Shows a good counter spin move to get back outside to the quarterback as they flee the pocket. Um, you know, will allow his pad level to get too high at times. That's going to limit some of his effectiveness. If he can keep, keep that pad level down, um, he can be very explosive. Um, hands, like I said, inconsistent, but when he does connect, that violent punch is going to jolt that offensive lineman. Then he locks out those long arms to drive his man into the backfield. You know, that's really what, you know, is going to be his game. And I think you add some of his, his power and some of that explosiveness to go along with, uh, with Harold Landry. You know, he's a guy that can end up on the field. You can have, um, Jeremy Simmons, I'm sorry, Jeffrey Simmons, uh, play the three technique and I think Gross Matos, with his size, he could probably end up playing the five, the five technique with um, Vic Beasley and uh, Harold Landry coming off the edge. And then if either of those guys take a break, you can always then move Gross Matos outside, let him stand up and rush, rush the passer, you know, playing in space. He has that versatility to be able to do that tremendous length. I, I think he's a guy that is going to surprise some people um, with just how explosive he can be. Look, you know, 20 tackles for loss uh, as a, as a sophomore, um, just really incredible, you know, the production, you know, being able to live in opposing backfields like he was able to do, um, you know, it, the, the veteran uh, ability there, uh, 37 and a half tackles for loss uh, in those last two seasons, a guy that didn't always get home, but a guy that lived in opposing backfields and was very active. You know, that's one of the things that you can say about Chase Young and, and Gross Matos and Epinesa. These guys, you're not going to question their, um, their motor. These guys are always working, looking to make a play on the football. And they're never out of a play. You know, if you think you've got them blocked, that's, you know, that's when you're going to get yourself in trouble. If, if you, you know, take things lightly and you kind of relax, you know, that's, that's going to get you in trouble. That's going to get you a bit before, before it's all, all said and done. Um, so we're going to kind of talk about, kind of go through this a little bit. Defensive tackles, you know, the, the first round defensive tackles. Obviously, Derek Brown is going to be our number one defensive tackle. There's no doubt about that. Derek Brown is, is a man among boys there up front. Uh, just dominating the point of attack, especially the last two seasons there. That formidable Auburn um, defensive front. And what I really appreciate about Derek Brown is, you know, just he's so powerful. The power in his hands is just, it's just ridiculous. Um, you know, that not only the the hand, you know, his his pop, the violent hands, driving his man back, um, but you'll see some quick hands as well. There's very quick uh, to dispose of the lineman with a slap and a rip or an arm over to get off, you know, off the ball in a hurry. Um, you're going to see that quick, uh, quick first step penetration, um, getting into the backfield, shooting gaps. And sometimes he'll just use his brute strength to just muscle his way uh, through those gaps, converting the speed to power, forcing his way through. Um, wide base allows him to drop his anchor and, and hold a point of attack, even against double teams, which you saw frequently throughout his career. Sometimes they throw three linemen at him. I mean, and that's why I've said before, you know, as a, a junior, you saw Deshaun Davis, the linebacker, making plays all over the field. Big reason why was all the space that was taken up by Derek Brown and the multiple blockers that he was taking on as well. Um, you know, a, a guy, you know, you'll see him manhandling his opponent, using his power to gain leverage before really throwing his man aside. I mean, just 
kind of throwing him off, you know, like a rag doll before continuing his pursuit of the ball. Power is going to allow him to collapse the pocket from within. Lateral quickness and short area bursts allow him to put pressure on the quarterback. And what's really impressive, like I said, is that nonstop motor. Uh, relentless in, in pursuit of the ball carrier, known to track the ball uh, from one hash to the opposite sideline, is even going to chase the ball 10-plus yards down the field. Tremendously active, 170 tackles in his career from the defensive tackle position, finished with 33 tackles for loss and 12.5 sacks as well. A nose for the football, eight passes breakups as well, forced five fumbles, um, can play with inconsistent pad level. That's going to allow the blockers to really slow down his rush. Uh, will overextend himself at times, which will affect his balance. But look, this is going to be a high-impact starter, a guy who's going to make his presence felt early in his career. Um, if Carolina doesn't take him, then he's not leaving Jacksonville uh, there at number nine. You know, I think Carolina definitely could be on the market for a nose tackle there. Um, they've got a 34 defense that Phil Snow's bringing in. I think Derek Brown could be that guy. But look, if the Giants don't take Isaiah Simmons, I think Matt Rule needs to take Isaiah Simmons at number seven. Gives them a, a, a guy that they can build their defense around. We'll talk about Simmons here in just a moment. I think Jacksonville, they need a defensive tackle. They've got Taven Bryant, Avery Jones, really the only dependable defensive tackles on the roster now that Marcel Darius was a cap casualty. Jags, Derek Brown, I love that pick. Then that's also going to allow the Jaguars to potentially focus on uh, offense, focus on a receiver. Um, you know, I've seen some people talking about him about the Jags taking Jerry Judy or potentially even CeeDee Lamb, Henry Ruggs in the conversation. They do need a receiver. You can get a receiver at at uh, at number 20. You can't get a defensive tackle with the skills of Derek Brown, you know, right there. But uh you know, if there are other teams that are out there on the market for a defensive tackle, uh, and you're looking at him, you know, looking at getting him in, in round number one, uh, the guys, the guy, you know, absolutely is going to be J- uh, Javon Kinlaw, six five, three twenty four out of South Carolina. Uh, this is a guy um, who can absolutely collapse the pocket from within. What's crazy is he became an instant contributor there for uh, for South Carolina as a sophomore in 2017. Shed 40 pounds, became tremendously athletic, was the team's defensive MVP in 2018. Racked up nine tackles for loss, four sacks. Dominant as ever as a senior. Um, had six sacks on the year. First team All-American. Very powerfully built. Intimidating presence. This is a guy that you really want you know, uh, off the bus or out of the locker room first. Um, you know, Very quick first step. Uses that to get early penetration off the snap. Muscles his way through snap, uh, through gaps. Often powering through double teams to collapse the pot collapse the pocket from within another guy who has that powerful punch uses a cr- uh, club or rip move to beat his man got him off balance so he's able to really use his hands to his advantage virtually unblockable at the senior bowl i mean for his you know you watch the tape but the senior bowl was absolutely ridiculous showing the combination of power and speed to win at the point of attack repeatedly beating clemson guard john simpson one of the better and more physical interior linemen in this draft either by driving him back with a ferocious bull rush or using his quickness to beat him off the ball um, strength allows him to bench press the interior lineman and, and then get off the block to disrupt the run play. You know, for as dominant as, as Kinlaw can be, any of the momentum is going to be neutralized when that pad level gets too high. He's, he's got the same issue that Derek Brown has. I mean, when they're six five interior linemen, you know, you got to watch you know watch out for that. That's one of the things that Aaron Donald, you know, the lack of of ideal size for the position actually works to his advantage because he doesn't have to worry about you know, that that giant target when he doesn't necessarily you know if he pops out of his stance. You know, it, he's still much lower coming off the ball than than these guys. 
Um, I think he needs to work on his technique a little bit and the pad level at the next level to be consistent, but he has the athletic skill set to really wreak havoc as an interior lineman. And where is he going to go? You know, there's a chance that if Isaiah Simmons is off the board, Derek Brown goes to the Carolina, then I think Kinlaw can end up going number nine overall to the Jags. But what's going to be interesting is, is Atlanta, you know, Dan Quinn, Thomas Dimitrov, they're looking to trade up. I think some people think they're going to try to go after CJ Henderson, but look, you know, um, you know, and I've heard some people say, well, they're going to go ahead and take Kalevin Chase on. And I thought that for a while, but you've got Tack McKinley. You still need to figure out what you got there. He's got another year. You know, his future in Atlanta beyond 2020 is in doubt. But you brought in De- uh, Dante Fowler, had that 11 and a uh, half sack season with the Rams, clearly his best as a pro. So maybe he's um, really looking to build upon what he did that past season. Vic Beasley is no longer on the roster. Could they go with the pass rusher there? I think that's a possibility, but I think when you really get a pass rusher from within, you team uh, Kinlaw with Grady Jarrett, there's really nobody else on that roster you know, behind you know, next to Grady Jarrett because Tyler Davison, he was re-signed, but he's more of a run stuffer. And uh, Deidre Sanat, you know, battling some injuries, Uh, limits his effectiveness. So I really think that Javon Kinlaw is going to be that guy. Uh, So I mentioned that we're going to take a look at the linebackers as well. So why not? Let's go ahead and take a look at our first round linebackers. And I mentioned Isaiah Simmons. Look, the the jack of all trades, uh, outside linebacker there for the Clemson Tigers. You know, we've talked about him, you know, uh, quite a bit. And here's the deal. You know, if you look at what pro football focus says about him, it's really staggering. Uh, So this past season, Simmons saw the field on 738 defensive plays and lined up along the defensive line for 106 of those, 239 in the box as a linebacker, 256 as a slot corner, 7 as a boundary corner, and 130 as a deep safety. Um, Played in multiple, you know, multitude of positions and uh, filled up the stat sheet in 2019. 104 tackles, 16 going for loss, 8 sacks, 3 interceptions, 8 pass breakups, 2 forced fumbles, and a partridge in a pear tree. Now, this guy's an athletic freak, put on a show at the Combine, ran a blazing 4-3-9-40, 39-inch vertical leap while measuring in at 6'4 and 238 pounds. Remember, he was a converted safety, but you know he's bulked up now, and, and he's, a, he's a big linebacker. Uh, ability to play all over the field was on display against South Carolina. I keep talking about this game. I feel like I, I keep talking about and hyping up this play um but he lined up against a shifty and speedy shy smith as a slot receiver initially beaten to the outside but he had the recovery speed with inside leverage to make up the ground got his head around and tracked the ball made a leaping uh play on the football uh lined up at deep safety against ohio state showed off tremendous closing speed to come over the top to undercut the route of benjamin victor to the sideline for a dynamic interception and against lsu in the national title game Stayed on the ball side hip of of Thaddeus Moss, dove in front of the tight end to make a play on the ball. There you go. In terms of coverage, three different uh, impact plays, you know, you know, over the top at safety, covering a slot receiver, covered a tight end, showed a little bit of that flexibility to run the arc off the edge to rush the passer. Also timing his blitzes, shooting downhill to shoot through the a gap from depth. Um, can shoot into the backfield, chase down running backs from behind. Very explosive player. And uh, like I said, if the Giants don't take him, and the Giants, they need a linebacker. Look, Alec Ogletree struggled to cover tight ends and running backs. And you look at the talent that uh, the Giants are going to have to face at the tight end position, you have to uh, consider Isaiah Simmons there. If he doesn't go there, then I think Carolina, when you lose a guy like Luke Keekley. 
averaged 137 tackles a game while also racking up 18 interceptions in his career, 12 and a half sacks, seven forced fumbles in just eight seasons with the Panthers. You know, AP Defensive Player of the Year in 2019. Uh, I'm sorry, in 2013. And a guy, look, you know, five-time first-team All-Pro, seven-time Pro Bowler. To me, when I look at Luke Keekley, obviously a first-ballot Hall of Famer, a guy who you know was the heart and soul of that, that team, not just the defense, heart and soul of the team, in my opinion. No offense to, to Cam Newton, but uh, this guy, you know, he he came to play, and you know, he was, you know, and really no offense to Christian McCaffrey either. I think Luke Luke Keekley was the was the heartbeat of that defense, and so you really have to find a way to build. Uh, your defense around another player. And I think Isaiah Simmons can be that guy for Carolina. So um, looking at, at the outside linebacker staying there, we're kind of kind of bounce back and forth between the outside and inside backers. Um, you know, I mentioned Clavin chase on, he could end up going to Atlanta, but I think ultimately his home could end up being in, in Dallas. And the reason being is Dallas needs to really focus on, on that pass rush. In my opinion, um, you lose Robert Quinn and, and Michael Bennett, two of your, the, the team's top three sack artists from a season ago. Um, need to use that early pick on an edge rusher. Tyrone Crawford is only under contract through 2020. Um, the only other edge rushers on the roster, uh, Demarcus Lawrence, Dorrance Armstrong, and, and Joe Jackson. They did sign uh, Gerald McCoy and Dontari Poe along the interior of the line. They need an edge rusher. I think Clavin Chason will give some give them some of that versatility. Did end up tearing his ACL in 2018 in the season opener when everyone was expecting him to really have that big boom and, and that big pop. Um, but look, as a junior, showed that he was back to his regular self. 13.5 tackles for loss, 6.5 sacks while also recording 60 tackles uh, as the edge rusher. Wins with his hand, slapping the offensive tackles, hands away, ripping through, flattening out to chase, chase after the quarterback. Spin moves very compact and quick, can change directions in a hurry without any wasted movement. Uh, does tend to let the offensive tackle attack his body, which will make it difficult to, for him to disengage. But when he gets his hands on the offensive tackle first, he can convert that speed and power with an impressive bull rush. Uh, does has a really awesome uh, long arm uh, driving the, the offensive lineman back and then able to uh, disengage and get off that block. So even when he's not actually getting home and dropping the quarterback for a sack, he's affecting the plays. And that's one of the things that I think really shows up well. Um, when you watched LSU take on Georgia in the SEC championship, Chase on taking it off, uh, taking off, taking on uh, one of the top four tackles in the draft and Andrew Thomas and more than held his own. Look, you know, he won with his explosiveness on one play started up the field, got Thomas leaning spin back to the inside with a low center of gravity to sack Jake from on another play, use that speed coming off the edge to beat Thomas and, and look the big offensive tackle. Couldn't even get his hands on chase on, but when he let Thomas engage and, and get his hands on him, he was easily driven away from the pocket does have a nonstop motor, relentless in his pursuit of the ball and that, College football playoff uh, title game against Clemson. He fell down, got up, beat the left tackle, uh, Jackson Carmen inside to hit Trevor Lawrence, forcing a, a throw well before uh, Lawrence wanted to throw it. He has the speed. He has the explosiveness. A guy who can also set the edge against the run. You know, I've mentioned that he reminds me a lot of Barkevius Kiki Mingo with some of his measurables. But you know, for me, you know, he wasn't as productive as as Kiki Mingo at uh, at LSU. Um, but I think he's going to end up being a much better pro. And uh, I, I think the Cowboys um, snatch him up there. You know, I think that makes perfect sense. And we're going to kick to the inside linebacker position at number 21, the Eagles. Haven't drafted a linebacker since 1979. You know, and what's crazy is, is a season ago, the three starters coming into the year, 
uh, Nigel Bradham, Zach Brown, uh, and Camus Grigier uh, Hall, I'm sorry, Hill, all no longer on the roster. So the team traded for, for Jannard Avery, and they have Duke Riley, uh, Nate Gary, look, an overachiever from the practice squad, TJ Edwards, undrafted free agent, struggles in space. They're desperate for speed in the middle. And I think ultimately this is where Kenneth Murray goes. Look, Kenneth Murray, the athleticism is tremendous, uh, flies around to the football. He can be a three-down linebacker, perfect match for what the Eagles are going to want to do on defense. Racked up over 300 tackles in just three seasons at OU. Uh, Sideline to sideline speed, ability to penetrate penetrate the line of scrimmage, um, has the athleticism to run with any tight end in the league. Uh, ran a 4-5-2-40 at the combine, 38-inch vertical leap, broad jump of, of 10 foot 9 inches before a hamstring ended his day. But uh, the post-combine workouts have been ridiculous. You know, he's running in the 4.4s, and he's 6'2", 241 pounds, chiseled physique. This guy's a freakish athlete. His biggest issue, you know, is the fact that he struggled with gap integrity throughout his career uh, against the run, often finding himself out of position, over-pursuing play, over plays, and giving up big yards in the process. Didn't always take the greatest angles to footballs as well. Um, ultra aggressive, has a penchant for making plays, um, not only gets himself out of position, he'll get fooled sometimes. And that's what, you know, he'll often take uh, bad angles as a result. Some of that lack of recognition makes you worry about him playing inside. But I think what's really promising is, is under one year under new, uh, sooner defensive coordinator, Alex Grinch, he was able to develop so much and, and all this growth that I think he's just going to continue to do that. And look, the Eagles need an athletic specimen in the middle of their defense. And I think Kenneth Murray can be that guy. 23, the Patriots. Look, Patriots are going to take a an edge rusher, in my opinion. Um, you know, you can talk about a bunch of other positions, but, you know, when you lose, um, you know, 47 sacks, good for seventh in the league, but much of that production came from Jamie Collins with seven. Kyle Van Noy had six and a half, and Danny Shelton, the nose tackle, with three. All three of those guys are no longer on the roster. And I think Zach Bond had a breakout 2019, 12 and a half sacks. Seems like the right fit for, for Coach Belichick. Uh, a versatile player, a guy who can play off the ball, can drop into coverage. Um, you know, pretty explosive, 46540 uh, at the combine. Also 24 reps at 225 in the bench press, which was good for third highest among the linebackers. But he's very smooth, very fluid. A guy who can drop, drop into coverage. Uh, can cover those tight ends. He did have a drug test that was flagged for being diluted, though his reasoning was that he had some excess water intake trying to add weight to tip the scales a little bit further. I think this is a guy who, you know, he bends well coming off the edge, um, definite uh, pass rush ability, has a quick spin move back to the inside. When he flattens out to the quarterback, relentless in his pursuit of the passer, nonstop motor would be a welcome uh, addition to this underachieving defense. I like the pick. I think, you know, Zach Bond can end up being the guy there. Um, kicking back out, uh, in or moving back inside, going inside and, and out and back in, uh, Patrick Queen. You know, I've got him penciled in as my, my number two inside linebacker, the six foot, 229 pounder out of LSU, the junior look. This is a guy who. It was really surprising. Every time you put the the game film on and you wanted to watch somebody else, whether it was Jacob Phillips on that defense, you know, if you're looking at linebacker, if you're looking at the corner with with Christian Fulton, Derek Stingley, the freshman, and and uh, and Grant Delpit, um, you know, Clavin Chason. Number eight always seemed to flash. 
making plays, always ended up around the football. He was a one-year starter, but that athleticism, the physicality, playmaking ability, reminiscent of guys like uh, Devin White, Quan Alexander, Deion Jones, all of whom are having success at the next level. Um, you know, and you know, he started the season, he kind of looked out of place, taking poor angles to the football, but by the end of the season, super confident inside linebacker, always seemed to be in position to make a play. In fact, his postseason performance against uh, in the SEC championship and in the college football playoff were tremendous. 22 of his 84 tackles registered in those games, five and a half tackles for loss, one and a half sacks against Georgia, Oklahoma, and Clemson. Those were his best games. And his last collegiate performance ended with Queen being the named uh, the defensive player of the game and LSU's win over Clemson in the title game. Tremendous speed, ran a 4-5-40 at the combine, which was third fastest among all of the linebackers. Um, has that athleticism to be an off-ball outside linebacker if you wanted to move him around a little bit. And I look at the Saints. I think the Saints, you know, everyone's talking about them potentially being on the market for a wide receiver, and I think that's absolutely true. You know, Michael Thomas needs some help. Um, but they brought in Emmanuel Sanders. I think that can temper it just a little bit, allowing them to then focus on the linebacker position. You know, you lose A.J. Klein. He left for Buffalo. Stephon Anthony and, and Manti Teo are both unrestricted free agents. You do have all-pro Demario Davis. You know, he led the Saints with 111 tackles a season ago with four sacks uh, and had nine hits on the quarterback uh, last year. You have Kiko Alonso restructured his deal, but both of those guys are entering the final year of their contracts. I think... Patrick Queen, new age linebacker, a guy that has tremendous range. I think that makes a ton of sense for the Saints. I think they really, you know, if they can address that defense a little bit, I think they'll be better off for it. So those are the ends, defensive linemen, and linebackers that I have coming off the board just in round number one. You know, and I think you know you've got some playmakers there, some guys that uh, have exceptional uh, ability and can make plays, you know, all over the field. Um, you know, and it's really going to be fun to see where these guys go, uh, where they come off the board. Um, round two, I actually don't have a defensive end coming off the board in round two. I think you know at the defensive end position, this is a, an area where. Um, I, I think round three and round four, you're really going to see guys come off the board. You're going to see a lot of guys, um, you know, that's where Curtis Weaver, James Lynch, Alex Highsmith, Jabari Zuniga, um, you know, Bradley and I, you know, Raekwon Davis. We're going to talk about all those guys. I think that's where you're going to see them come off the board. But I think defensive tackle and the linebacker position, you're going to see a few guys that will come off the board there. So we're going to go ahead and focus on those guys a little bit. So the first guy that we're going to talk about is Justin Matabuike out of uh, Texas A&M. 6'3", 293, uh, a big, powerful dude, and, uh, you know, surprisingly athletic. You know, if you watched him at the Combine, he, he kind of blew you away, ran a sub-540, uh, they're at the combine. Um, it was a four, eight, three also put up 225, uh, 31 times. And, you know, this is a guy who's going to get that penetration into the backfield, whether it's with the brute strength, he has tremendous upper body strength and he's going to look to try to overpower you at the point of attack. You know, he can work on some of his anchor a little bit. I think he's got to, you know, hit the weight room a little bit with the legs, get, you know, really be able to drop, um, drop that center of gravity, drop those hips, drop the butt and really anchor. But, Definitely can be explosive, can drive guys into the backfield, disrupt the run play, um, offers a little bit of that that 
you know, short area explosiveness to be a pass rusher as well. I've got him coming off the board round two to the Lions, number 35 overall. Uh, I think the Lions losing a Sean Robinson definitely hurts. I think that's a guy that can fill in there. Uh, Ross Blacklock, uh, 6'3", 290 out of TCU, the junior, uh, a twitched up dude. You know, you watch this guy, he's able to bend around uh, interior linemen, fires so quick off the ball. These guys are unable to get their hands on him, and he's able to turn the corner in a hurry. Very twitched up. Um, I'm looking at Cleveland, and I'm looking at, um, you know, Larry Ogunjobi um, is only under contract for another season. Um, and he's really the, the one guy there on the interior of that line, though, that's really been making an impact. Um, I, I look at Sheldon Richardson. I think uh, Richardson's kind of a, a part-time, well, I wouldn't say part-time, but a, uh, um, a stopgap there, if you will. You know, he is signed through uh, the 2021 season, but a three-year, $37 million contract. You know, I just, I don't know that that's going to keep him on the roster, you know, past this season. I think he could potentially be a cap casualty uh, next year. So I, I think adding a defensive tackle and getting Ross Blacklock would make a lot of sense. I mean, look, uh, with, with Blacklock at, at TCU, played it, you know, just two seasons there for the Horn Frogs. Uh, but this past season, 40 tackles, nine uh, tackles for loss, three and a half sacks, you know, a guy that can definitely uh, shoot some gaps and, and be disruptive in the backfield. So, um, you know, I, I think he's a nice fit there with the Browns. Moving on from there at the defensive tackle position. You're looking at Marlon Davidson. I've got him going to Green Bay. Now, Marlon Davidson's one of those athletes. Look, 6'3", 303, really showed up. You know, he, he was playing under 300 pounds at Auburn, bulked up, and showed that he can still be just as athletic um, being that big. Ran a 504.40 at the Combine despite weighing over 300 pounds. He's a guy that, you know, he, he didn't always fill the stat sheet, but he didn't always need to. Um, there at Auburn, I think that was one of the things that was just remarkable about that defense is, um, you know, these guys, they all kind of fed off of each other and they were all winning. You know, I, I think during the season, he weighed in at 6'3", 278, shows up at the combine over 300 pounds. This guy can absolutely be a, a three, or I'm sorry, a five technique and a three, a 34 defense, um, you know, 174 tackles. 28 for going for loss, including 11 and a half this past season, 14 and a half sacks, including six and a half this past season, nine pass breakups. This is a guy who can get after the quarterback. Um, very effective coming off the edge, can set the edge against the run as well. And I think that's something that Green Bay, you know, right now your your starting defensive ends are, are Dean Lowry and, and Tyler Lancaster. They need to get a guy there. You know, they've got Kenny Clark. There in the middle, they need to find somebody at defensive end, and I think Marlon Davidson would be a nice find there for for Green Bay there in round number two. And then finally, I'm going to give you one more name at defensive tackle. I think Seattle is going to look at Jordan Elliott, six four three zero two. This is a guy, you know, he's pretty explosive coming off the football, and I think everyone really re- remembers as a sophomore he had a three sack game from the defensive end position. Just looked really dominant at times at the position, uh, coming in, uh, shooting the gaps, get you know, showing off, you know, really exceptional um, speed coming off the ball. And uh, I'm looking at, uh, at at Seattle. I think they they need to get some help there at the. Uh, defensive tackle position. I think really what the biggest thing is, is, um, you know, you have Jaron Reed coming back. That was a big signing for them. Um, and they're, they're, they need some help outside of him at the position. I think that's really what 
what you're going to see. And I think getting him at the end of round number two, um, that's going to be a nice uh, a nice pickup there for Seattle. I think Seattle will be putting together a pretty nice draft overall. Um, you know, you've got uh, Nazir Jones, uh, Demarcus Christmas. I really like Puna Ford. He's going to be a, a free agent at the end of the season and uh, undrafted free agent, a guy that's really can play that nose and be you know difficult to handle at times because he does have some pretty good quickness coming off the ball as well. Um, you know, so I really like that pick there uh, in round number two. Um, if we look at the linebackers, we're going to go ahead and transition and linebacker position. I've got Julian Aquara of Notre Dame going to the Bills at number 54 overall, 6'4", 252 pounds. Now look, you know, with Julian Aquara, he was a defensive end there, uh, playing opposite Khalid Kareem um, for the Fighting Irish. And Julian Aquara, he, he's more of the speed rusher. You know, his brother was kind of more of the um, – power guy, the strength coming off the edge. And what I really appreciated about Julian Aquara, um, you know, was he was very productive as an edge rusher. Now, again, you know, had the, the season ending injury and knocked him out in 2019. This is a guy, look, you know, through nine games, had seven tackles for loss, five sacks, but it was the quarterback pressures. He always seemed to be in the backfield and affecting the play. Uh, 24 total tackles for loss, 15 and a half sacks. And, and look, he's six, uh, 6'5", 250 pounds. Um, scratch that. Um, he was actually trying to play catch up here with my computer. Um, 6'4", 252 pounds, over 34-inch arms, put up 225, 27 times in the bench press as well. I think he's a guy, when he gets healthy, you know, the Bills are going to need a guy that's going to be able to come off the edge and I think this can definitely be the, the guy to do it for them. Um, moving on at the linebacker position, um, you know, Terrell Lewis, I think Kansas City needs to find a, another edge rusher to pair with Frank Clark. Uh, Terrell Lewis, there's a chance, look, KC's drafting at 63. Terrell Lewis could end up being a first-rounder, and that's potentially who KC could end up taking at 32 overall, especially if Etier Gross Matos is not on the board. 6'5", 262 pounds, coming off uh, a leg injury, um, you know, tore his ACL in, in, in the first game there for Alabama. Uh, I believe it was against uh, Louisville. And, and what Terrell Lewis ended up doing, coming back, and you know he looked like a situational pass rusher. Wasn't a guy who started, uh, but 11 and a half tackles for loss, six sacks. Reminds you a lot of Clavin Chason because of their you know the, the size, his ability to attack from within, and, and also looping around. Um, as an edge rusher, there were times where he was virtually unblockable. And, and so that's something that I, I look at for uh, for KC. You know, this is a guy who could potentially go to Baltimore. Um, I think Atlanta would be interested in him. Um, I, I think, New, uh, I'm sorry, New England, as a looking for another pass rusher, I think this could potentially be a guy. If Zach Bond is not their answer at 23, you could potentially be looking at Terrell Lewis coming off the board at number 23 overall. I think that's a, absolutely a possibility, especially if there's any question with that drug sample. You could potentially see Terrell Lewis go 23 overall. Um, I, I'm looking more so, you know, in terms of the best fit. And uh, at that point, you know, I, I thought KC was going to be a nice fit there in round two. It just so happened that they're drafting at number 63 overall. I think KC is going to ultimately trade up for him. Uh, inside backers in round number two, I got one. And uh, that's Jordan Brooks out of Texas Tech. Um, you know, he's, he's cleared. He's finally healthy. Six foot, 245 pounds. And uh, a guy who 
you know, I, I think not many people are really talking about Jordan Brooks, but a guy who just, he can make plays. He's, he's a three down linebacker and, and a guy who just, he, he always seems to be around the football. Uh, this past season, 108 tackles uh, through 11, 11 games, 20 tackles for loss, three sacks, um, really stepped up his game and really was the leader of that defense for, for, for Matt Wells in his first season in Lubbock. And, um, you know, 66 solo tackles. So, you know, I, I think, you know, and even as a freshman, 61 solo tackles, this guy, you know, knows for the ball, very instinctive player and a smooth athlete. I really like Jordan Brooks. I think, you know, this is a guy that should come off the board in round two. And I think there are a number of teams that are in that round two area. Look, he ran a four five four forty, which was one of the faster times at that linebacker position. So where do I have Jordan Brooks going? He could go to the Rams potentially, but I actually have him going to Baltimore. Look, Baltimore, you know, when you have Patrick Amwasser and you had uh, you know Josh Bynes, neither one of them are on the roster. Um, so you're really you know you're you're kind of in desperation mode at the inside backer position. And if you can't get uh, either. Um, Patrick Queen or Kenneth Murray in round number one, then you really have to make sure that you are getting a guy in round two. And I, I really like Jordan Brooks. I think he's an ascending guy. And, uh, you know, look, they, they signed Jay, uh, Jake Ryan as a free agent, brought him in on a one-year deal. Ataro Alaka, LJ Ford at inside backer, uh, Chris Board could potentially play inside as well. Simply put, they've got to address that inside backer position. And I think that's really what you're going to see there in round number two. Again, unless Kenneth Murray or Patrick Queen happen to fall, they could potentially trade up to land one of those two guys, try to get ahead of some of these players, but they're going to have to get up pretty high in order to land them, and that might be a little bit of a stretch. We'll see what happens there. So moving on, we'll take a look at round number three. So we're going to go ahead and and continue this. I kind of like how we're doing this, going through round by round, taking a look at these positions, uh, position players, and kind of going from there. Um, I, I think the Jets... At 68, if Curtis Weaver's still on the board, I think it would be a steal to get him. 6'2", 265. And when I look at some of his measurables, he reminds me a lot, of actually, of Derek Barnett. Uh, but I thought Barnett played much better against the run. That said, Curtis Weaver was one of the most productive pass rushers. I think he has a, a nice repertoire at, you know, as a pass rusher. Um, you know, there were times where he would kind of disappear on some plays. Just 52 tackles this past season uh, as a linebacker. Still learning the position. Started his career as a defensive end. But look, uh, 47 and a half tackles for loss, 34 sacks. This past season, 19 and a half tackles for loss, 13 and a half sacks. Uh, six pass breakups in his career, three forced fumbles. A guy who who you know he's he could be a situational pass rush guy early on in his career. But if you're talking about the the New York Football Jets. Uh, to steal a line from from Chris Berman. He normally calls that the, the Giants. But talking about the J-E-T-S, Jets, 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 uh, that outside linebacker position, um, you know, I, I, I've i been talking about them potentially doubling up at the position, and, and I wouldn't be surprised if that does happen. You do have Jordan Jenkins, and then you have Terrell Basham. They're both uh, only under contract through 2020, uh, the 2020 season. you got to get a pass rusher. I think that's ultimately what you're going to see happen here. You know, Blake Cashman is a guy who's probably going to end up playing inside with CJ Mosley. So we'll see what happens, but I really like this pick for the jets. Uh, moving on from there. If I can get back to my round three, there we go. Uh, James Lynch out of Baylor. Uh, Carolina is drafting at number 69 overall. 
and big Lynch, you know, 6'4", 289, the junior. This is a guy, you know, I, I liken him a little bit to, to J.J. Watt. He's not as athletic or as explosive as J.J. Watt. But look, here, here's what what I, I think reminds me so much of him. It's just his ability when he fires off the ball. For a guy his size, he can bend really well coming off the edge. You're surpri- you know, surprised to see just how... You know his ability to sink his hips and turn the corner in a hurry, dipping that inside shoulder and really getting around that offensive lineman, hugging that turn and flattening out and getting to the quarterback. 33 tackles for loss and 20 sacks in his career, but really it was that 2019 season. 19 and a half tackles for loss, 13 and a half sacks, five pass breakups, three forced fumbles, two fumble recoveries. Matt Rule was his college head coach there at Baylor. He's now in Carolina, and I think they need a. there is a need at the defensive end position. This was the guy that he really went after first at Baylor when he came to the Baylor Bears. And you know this was a guy that really stuck it out with Matt Rule to resurrect this, this program. And I think because of what James Lynch has done, I think there's going to be that connection with Matt Rule, and I think Matt's going to try to get him on Carolina, play opposite K1 short. Um, they did bring in Stephen Weatherly as well. I think that gives them a nice little uh, group, you know, trio there at the defensive end position. Look, he's not going to be the most explosive guy in terms of that speed, but a guy who's just going to outwork you coming off the edge. And uh, I think as a as a 34 uh, defensive end, that five technique, I think you know he can really shine at the next level. I also think. Um, you know, when I think of him, I think of Aaron Smith, the guy that played for a lot of years there at, at, uh, at Pittsburgh with the Steelers. So as we move along and we take a look at, uh, at the third round, um, I think the Colts have a need at the nose tackle position. You know, Grover Stewart is, is the one guy up front for them, uh, before they ended up landing, uh, DeForest Buckner, who was over 300 pounds. I'm looking at, uh, Devon Hamilton, 6'4", 320 pounds out of Ohio State. I think this is a guy who can end up playing the nose for them, and then they can end up actually being really productive. Uh, a guy who didn't have to fill the stat sheets because he had so many guys that were playing around him with the Buckeyes. Uh, but this past season, nine and a half tackles for loss and six sacks as, as an interior lineman. Um, so you know, when you think about that, you know, he had 28 tackles for loss, or, I'm sorry, 28 total tackles and, and six sacks. So nearly one in every four tackles was a sack. Um, you know, a guy who can hold the point really well. I think he's somebody that, uh, fits what Chris Ballard is looking for. One of those tough, hard nosed players and, and a guy who can be incredibly consistent. I really like that pick there for Indy in round number three. Um, so after him, you know, I'm looking at, at, you know, we'll move back to the linebacker position. And Malik Harrison is a guy who can play inside. He can play outside. 6'3", 234. Um, so I, I really look at Denver. I think Denver makes a lot of sense. You have Josie Jewell there. Um, you have Todd Todd Davis. But you need a guy who can, you know, make some plays, you know, can cover out of the, uh, at the linebacker position, co- cover tight ends, cover running backs. And I think you know uh, Malik Harrison can absolutely do that. You look at his his stat line and you know 75 tackles this past season, 16 and a half going for loss, three and a half sacks, four pass breakups as well. Um, you know a guy who has pretty good range, uses trusts his eyes to really see what's going on, can diagnose plays quickly. Uh, not a whole lot of wasted movement against the run. Can drop into coverage, uses his eyes, you know, to watch the quarterback's eyes, allows him to take him to the football and make a play on the ball as well. Um, you know, I, I think he's. He's got the uh, um, the right amount of athleticism to be a guy that can 
play either inside or out. Uh, ran a 4.6640 at the combine, 36-inch vertical leap, so he has some lower body explosiveness to him as well. Um, I like him in round number three. Um, staying at the, I don't know if you call it outside linebacker, defensive end position, I mentioned the Falcons still need to get another edge rusher. How about Alex Highsmith out of Charlotte? You know, with the 49ers, look, he 6'3", 248 pounds, and, and he's one of my favorite players in this entire draft. I think this was a guy who, you know, really kind of reinvented himself uh, to some degree as a senior. As a as a junior, I think he, he really had people take notice because of his 18 and a half tackles for loss, but he only had three sacks. This was a guy that was making plays behind the line of scrimmage, but he wasn't getting home after the quarterback. So what does he do? He really ups his game as a senior. 75 tackles for loss, 21 and a half going for loss, but then 15 sacks. Ascending prospect, a guy, you know, only one year of that pass rush ability, so that does is cause for concern. But I think the athleticism is something that um, is undeniable um, at that uh, the edge rusher position. And a guy, look, if he's continuing to build upon you know what he's already laid out there, I think he's somebody to keep an eye out for. And look, you know, ran a four seven forty, so it's not overly explosive, but also offered a thirty three inch vertical leap. I really like Alex Highsmith. I think he's going to go off the board in round three. Some people think he's going to be a day three pick. Uh Uh-uh. I don't think so. I think the Falcons, that'd be a nice pickup for them. Um, The Jets, I I mentioned that they may double up on the position. I actually have that happening. Josh Uche out of Michigan, 6'1", 245 pounds. When you look at Uche, another guy who can make plays on the football. He can drop into coverage. He can rush the quarterback. Had eight sacks this past season. Um, You know, a, a guy who... You have to know where he's at. I think he plays really well in space. Um, you know, had at least seven sacks in each of the last two seasons. Um, I really like Josh Uche. If he can pair with uh, Curtis Weaver there uh, in New York, you have Jordan Jenkins there as well. You know, only there for one year. Um, so I think these could really be the future uh, edge rushers there for the Jets. Um, so I, I really like that pick in round number three. Uh, moving on from there, I think the Raiders are going to be on the market for another pass rusher. I think you know with Max, uh, Max uh, Crosby, you know getting that you know the ten and a half sacks, and then you had Cleveland Furl with with four and a half sacks as well. These were guys that were just you know so explosive last year as uh, as rookie edge rushers. I'm looking at Alton Robinson out of Syracuse, six three, two hundred sixty four pounds. Uh, I think he's somebody who can be very explosive. I, he, he just needs to return to that 2018 form. And, and part of it, I think, was Syracuse. 2018 was their year, you know, under Dino Babers. Uh, 17 tackles for loss, 10 sacks. They had Eric Dungy at quarterback. They were really firing on all cylinders. 2019 hits, and they're really a down season. Uh, and you saw Alton Robinson's production drop by half. I think you know the what Mayock is looking for though Mike Mayock the the GM there and John Gruden they're looking for guys who be you know versatile explosive playmakers and what I like about Alton Robinson is you know, he does have that explosiveness uh, four six nine forty thirty five and a half inch vertical leap and then also put up two twenty five thirty five times so a guy that can you know hold the edge and be powerful at the point of attack I think you know he's his strength is underrated and. Um, you know, if he can show off some of that pass rush ability, much like Max Crosby was able to do there for um, for the Raiders, I think he really has something. So when you talk about Max Crosby, just real quick, 6'5", 265, wasn't overly explosive with his, his 40 time, uh, 41 tackles for loss, 20 sacks in his career, uh, just to kind of put that a little bit in perspective. And you look at Cleland Furl, um, 
you know, another guy who I, I think, you know, 50 and a half tackles for loss and 27 sacks in, uh, in four seasons there at Clemson. So you look at the level of production. I don't think that Alton Robinson necessarily meets that. Um, but he's not going to be a starter. He's going to be one of those guys. I think, you know, Mayock is going to look for somebody who can be that explosive situational pass rusher guy that can come in and, and give these guys a breather. And if he can return to that 2018 form, I think he really has something and could end up being a steal for, uh, for the Raiders. Um, I'm looking at Logan Wilson. The Rams need an interior, uh, inside linebacker, and Logan Wilson is one of the more underrated linebackers in this year's draft. Look, 6'2", 241 pounds out of Wyoming. Guy who showed up to the combine. I don't think people were really, you know, didn't really know what to expect. Again, Wyoming, uh, you know, a guy that's playing in the Mountain West Conference. And what does Logan Wilson do? Runs a 4'6", 340. Um, you know, not overly explosive, 32-inch vertical leap. But when you put on the game film, um, this is a guy who just happens to always be around the football, whether it was against the run, the pass, you know, rushing the quarterback, always around. Number 30 was going to be in there making plays for the Cowboys. Over 400 tackles in his career, um, ended up just you know six tackles shy in 2016 and one tackle shy in 2018 from having four straight 100 tackle seasons. Uh, 34 and a half tackles for loss, seven sacks, 10 interceptions, including four this past season, one of which he returned for a touchdown. 14 pa- uh, pass breakups, five forced fumbles, four fumble recoveries, one of which he returned for a touchdown as a freshman. Guy makes plays all over the field. Rams need help at inside linebacker. I really like that pick for the Rams. Uh, you know, if we continue the momentum, continue moving along here after Logan Wilson, I'm looking at Bradley and I and the Bills. Now, I mentioned that they were going to potentially take one pass rusher. I think they go ahead and go with another one. And looking at, at Bradley and I in round number three, 6'3", 257. What I like about Anai is he has that, that physicality, has a nonstop motor. He wins with his hands. You know, Double-digit sacks this past season. Very physical guy. Um, a guy who can play at end. Um, can be an outside linebacker in a 34 defense. Um, I, I think the Bills could potentially double up, get another edge rusher. And uh, you know, I kind of like that pick. Um, Cleveland, Cleveland needs linebackers. I, I think there's no question there. Um, you have Willie Harvey, you have Sione Takitaki, uh, Mac Wilson, I think is a guy that you're going to have at linebacker. When you lose a guy like Joe Schobert, that's really going to, uh, really going to hurt your defense, I think. And I think Cleveland's going to look for another linebacker there in, uh, in round number four, but in round three, I'm looking at Akeem Davis Gaither, 6'1", 224 pounds. Um, and I love the guy's length. I love his, his range, a guy who's really that new age outside linebacker and, and a guy, look this past season. Um, and really, you know, in two seasons, we'll, we'll talk about both seasons really for app, app state, um, over 200 tackles, 24 tackles for loss, six and a half sacks, 15 pass breakups, a guy who trusts his eyes can get into the court, you know, into the backfield, pressure the quarterback makes plays behind the line of scrimmage can play in the box can also drop and play in space. And I think that's really that versatility is something that Cleveland could definitely use, um, on defense. So if we move on from Davis Gaither, Staying at the linebacker position, Daryl Taylor out of Tennessee, 6'4", 267 pounds. This is an edge rusher who, you know, has has that tremendous speed. A guy that uh, that can bend really well. Um, if you put on that game against Alabama, struggled mightily with Je- Jedrick Wills. One of the reasons why I think his pass sets were the best in in college football. Um, although Penny Sewell might argue with that, um, you know, you put on that game film and he just absolutely dominated. Uh, Taylor, 
But what Taylor does have is that pass rush ability. He'll be a situational pass rusher early on. 26 and a half tackles for loss, 19 and a half sacks in his career with the Volunteers. Seven pass breakups, six forced fumbles, four fumble recoveries as well. Uh, it's the speed. He's explosive coming off the edge. He's a guy that can really turn the corner in a hurry and uh, affecting the passer coming off that edge. And I really like him to Houston. I've had him penciled in going to Houston in round number three for a while. And when you have you know, Qu- uh, you know Whitney Merciless uh, there at, at one um, outside linebacker position, I think you need to find another another guy that can rush the quarterback. And, and that's that's really a, you know an area that makes a lot of sense for me. Um, you know, after moving on from Daryl Taylor, I think the Raiders are going to look linebacker as well. Um, they did bring in uh, Nick Kwiatkowski, and they brought in Corey Littleton at linebacker. You know, they have some versatility at the linebacker position. You know, Kyle Wilber's back, Nicholas Morrow's back, but I think you need to get a guy who can be versatile, can play inside, can play outside. The versatility of of, of Kwiatkowski and and Littleton lead me to believe that that's really what more. Um, Mike Mayock is looking at the linebacker position. This might be a little bit high to take this guy, but I really like Marcus Bailey, man. Six foot, 235. If you listen to my, my podcast, you know, this is a guy that I've, I've really been talking up quite a bit, um, you know, and he, he's battled injury, uh, you know, this past season, unfortunately, um, you know, only played in two games in 2019. But you have to look at, at his play in 2018. You know, this was a guy who was a defensive leader, 115 tackles, nine going for loss, six and a half. Uh, sacks, had an interception, a couple of pass breakups as well. Um, has six total interceptions in his career, four uh, as a freshman. Uh, this was a guy who really was a, a pass rusher as well, showed up in, in as a sophomore with uh, 11 tackles for loss and seven sacks. Was really that leader in the of that emotional leader, that emotional heartbeat of that Boilermaker defense, um, you know, with uh, with Coach Brom, uh, Tyler Trent, David Blau, this was really a team that everyone could pull for. If you're a college football fan, this was really one of your teams in uh, in 2018, 2019. After two games, he's out for the year, and that really affected Purdue for the remainder of the season. They didn't have a guy that that could be that that emotional leader that Marcus Bailey was. I think he's a guy that is is underrated. People talking about him in the fourth and fifth round range. If that if the injuries check out completely with him, I think he's a guy that has to come off the board in round three. And he feels he just feels like a Mike Mayock pick. Um, Baltimore, I think Baltimore needs another uh, defensive end. I think that's something that that definitely feels feels like that's a must, especially when you lose out on Michael Brockers. Um, and, and I'm looking at um, Raquan Davis. You know, a guy who, after his freshman year, didn't really live up to expectations. You know, I think he's one of those guys, um, you know, if you listen to my podcast, I talk about uh, production versus potential. This is a guy who's always had the potential, just has never lived up to that. You know, 6'6", 311 pounds, and a guy who can absolutely wreak havoc when he wants to. But uh, pad level was always an issue with him. Always seemed to be getting blocked, and you know he was a guy that was around the play, but wasn't always making it. Um, you know, just never really was able to live up to those lofty expectations. Um, and really, it was his sophomore season in 2017. Uh, 69 tackles, 10 tackles for loss, eight and a half sacks in the final two seasons. Um, you know, 102 tackles between the two seasons, uh, with eight and a half tackles for loss and just two sacks. Really struggled to gain any momentum, and I think this is a guy. If 
the production had, had maintained there, he absolutely would have been a first-round pick. I think he ends up falling because of that drop in produ- productivity, and uh, I think the Ravens could end up getting a steal if they could get the mo- you know get the most out of this guy. Can you motivate him? Can you really get him to make plays out on the field? If you can, you may have something there with Raekwon Davis. I think the Steelers end up getting Neville Gallimore at 102, uh, 6'2", 304. That might be a little late for Neville Gallimore. Look, he he was one of those guys that ran the the sub five forty um, at defensive tackle. You know, he's over three hundred pounds, runs a four seven nine. Um, you know, which you'd think would be the fastest at a defensive tackle position, but you know, he's also in the same draft when Khalil Davis at six one three oh eight runs a four seven five forty. I mean, are you kidding me? These guys just running so fast. And he's a very explosive off the ball. A guy, you know, first step quickness. You're going to see a quick arm over, getting into the backfield, quick penetration. I think, you know, you lose Javon Hargrave there for Pittsburgh. I think this is a guy who can be a two-gap defender and, uh, you know, can end up holding down the nose um, and be a very explosive, productive player there for uh, for the Steelers. Um, And then Jabari Zuniga at defensive end to round things out. If the Vikings don't end up going with Epinesa in round one, I think Jabari Zuniga is a nice um, consolation prize there in round number three. This is a guy you can rush the passer from within. Um, he lined up at defensive tackle quite often for the Gators, especially when they're going with kind of a NASCAR type package when you have four defensive ends in the game. Um, a guy who can also rush the passer off the edge. Um you know, only played him five games in 2019. A guy who battles injury. If you can keep him on the field, he's he's tremendously productive getting after the quarterback. Five and a half tackles for loss and three sacks in those five games. Uh, 33 total tackles for loss and 18 and a half sacks in his career. Um, and uh, I, I look, you know, I, I thought Jabari Zuniga, you know, Jakai Polite was the guy um, who got all the hype uh, a season ago. And I think Jabari Zuniga was the guy that really was was more the more productive and the more explosive pass rusher, in my opinion. And I, I think Jabari Zuniga, when it's all said and done, is going to be the better pro as well. Um, I think he's a guy um, who fits in. I think he can end up being a, really a day-one starter there in Minnesota, again, as long as he can stay healthy. And I think that's why he ends up falling to round number three, would be a steal for the Vikings. Um, and then we're going to go ahead and take a look at round number four, and then we'll go ahead and call it a, uh, a podcast. So we'll do a quick run through here. I mentioned, you know, the Florida Gators and, and the productivity there. Uh, the Bengals, I think, are on the market for a defensive end, and I really like Jonathan Greenard, 6'3", 263 pounds, coming from Louisville. Um, a guy who, um, you know, battled injury there and uh, you know, ends up transferring to Florida. Um, and when you look at him, you know, 16 tackles for loss and 10 sacks for the Gators, you know, really sharing, you know, coming off the edge with Zuniga. Um, I, I don't think that he got home um, quite as often. You know, I think his success rate, um, you know, really concerned at times with uh, some of his explosiveness, really being able to get off blocks as well. Um, ran a 4.8740, um, not as explosive, has more lateral quickness. I think he's quicker than he's fast. Um, so bending off the edge, but a guy that didn't always get home to the quarterback. So we flush him from the pocket and flush him into some other guys, but not always necessarily the guy that had that explosive burst to actually run down the quarterback. Um, moving on from that. Um, we look at a linebacker position, Carolina. You know, I mentioned that they're going to be looking at Isaiah Simmons, who could potentially be a, a, a middle linebacker, could play on the outside. I think another guy with some versatility is Sean Bradley, a guy you know with whom 
Matt Rule is very familiar. I think Matt Rule, you see him drafting, you know, signing guys that he's familiar with, brought in coaching staff, um, you know, from Baylor. And this is a kid from Temple, 6'1", 235, another guy who's tremendously athletic. You know, if you watched him at the Combine, very smooth uh, performer, ran a 4.5140 at the Combine, um, and a guy who... Uh, again, has that versatility to be able to play inside or out wherever you need him. And I think you pair him up with Isaiah Simmons. And uh, these are some of those new age linebackers, 255 tackles uh, in his career. Um, you know, and that's really, you know, the production in the last three seasons with the Owls, 22 tackles for loss, three interceptions, five pass breakups. So a guy that can drop into coverage, um, plays around the box really well, shoots a lot of gaps, very quick. He's another one of those guys that you know was a single-digit performer uh, at Temple, so you know what that means. You know this guy plays with intensity, plays with heart, plays with passion. And Matt Rule, you know, he knows a, a thing or two about that, having coached at Temple. Um, so I think this is a guy that uh, you know was was one of the heart and soul players of that defense. And I think he ends up bringing him in there in round number four. Um, I mentioned the Browns needing an, an inside linebacker, Willie Gay. Junior out of uh, Mississippi State, 6'1", 243, tremendously explosive at the combine. You know, we'll just say that, 4'4", 640, 39 and a half inch vertical leap. Um, and a guy who just seemed to, you know, when he did make the season, you know, this is a guy who did get himself into trouble and uh, that affected, you know, out for eight games. Um, so there are some concerns, you know, off the field and are things going to check out? This is a franchise. Look, they, they ended up bringing in Antonio Callaway. So it doesn't necessarily shy away from some of the off field issues uh, through five games, had 28 tackles, three and a half for loss an interception, a um, couple of fumble recoveries, um, a, a guy who had an interception that he returned 52 yards for a touchdown as well. Um you know, he has that sideline to sideline ability making plays. I thought he looked a little stiff in coverage, but he has that athleticism, has that straight line speed. He's bringing speed to that defense, and I think that's something that uh, Cleveland absolutely desperately needs. Um, but again, that off field has to really check out for him. Otherwise, he may fall off people's draft boards completely. Um, hey, there's a defensive tackle get, that gets taken here in the draft. And, uh, you know, 118, Denver Broncos, they have Mike Purcell at nose. But I think, you know, they're looking going to look at Lecky Fotu, or at least they should. 6'5", 330 pounds, the, uh, the Utah Ute. Um, not as explosive, I would say, as, as Starlo Tulele, but a guy who can make plays in the backfield, both rushing the passer and, you know, with some short area quickness. But he's going to really anchor you know, this is a guy who was very powerful at the point of attack, takes on multiple blockers. Uh, the speed to power is is evident with him. Um, you've got uh, you know, Bradley and I and Francis Bernard making plays all over the field there. Before uh, Bernard, it was Cody Barnett that he was opening holes for, Chase, Chase Hansen as well. And uh, I think this is a guy that could potentially end up being that guy in the middle for Denver's defense. Um Moving through, hey, you know what? The Steelers need a, a, an edge rusher. They, they, you know, Bud Dupree was a franchise player. Um, I, I think they end up needing uh, another edge rusher to team up with TJ, uh, TJ Watt. And even if they end up signing uh, Bud Dupree to a long-term deal, um, they're going to need some depth at the position. And I'm looking at Anthony Jennings, a guy that really doesn't get a whole lot of credit, but you know, when you look at the stats, he made a lot of plays, man. Uh, 193 tackles, um, including 83 this past season. 
33 and a half tackles for loss, including 12 and a half this past season, four, uh, 14 and a half sacks, including eight this past season. And then uh, 18 ta- uh, pass breakups had 11 of those in 2018. Tremendously long arms, understands passing lanes. I, I think that was one of the things that Uchenna Nwosu was really good at. That ended up getting him drafted um, on day two to the Chargers. Uh, I think Jennings, what he did, he really saved his best for last. You know, in 2019, and I mentioned the 83 tackles, the 12, uh, 12 and a half tackles for loss, eight sacks, uh, and five pass breakups. This was a guy... Bama, there are a lot of other guys defensively that people talk about, but this guy I thought was a consistent performer, game in, game out, really showed up. You saw 33 uh, making plays coming off the edge. You know, Terrell Lewis with all the explosiveness coming off the edge, he's the guy that people talk about, but I think Anthony Jennings is going to have a productive career at the next level. And the Steelers need a, a, an outside linebacker, so I think it's a, it's a nice little match there. Uh, Arizona, I think, you know, at 3-4 defense, um, I think Jason Strobridge out of uh, North Carolina is a guy that could end up potentially being that uh, five technique, 6'4", 275, play D-tackle there, undersized defensive tackle, and so I, I think ultimately that's going to be the transition. I think what you really see with Jason Strobridge was the athleticism that he displayed at the Combine, and so I think that's not just at the Combine, but at the Senior Bowl as well, showing an ability uh, one-on-one to make some plays, had 22 tackles for loss, had 10 and a half sacks, you know, a guy that people weren't really talking about during the season, really got some momentum, uh, you know, really building in, in the postseason, And, uh, you know, I, I really like him coming off the board in round number four um, to Arizona. So just a couple more players and then we'll have everything round, uh, you know, we'll be able to round everything out after that. Uh, Baltimore, I, I think they need to go with another uh, defensive end. And I have them taking Rashard Lawrence, 6'2", 308. Uh, a guy who you know isn't the most athletic guy, not always the most productive guy, but a guy who just uh, was a steady performer there at LSU. And I think he's going to be one of those uh, um, a depth player there for the Ravens, a guy that's going to get some playing time. And when he's there, he won't be flashy, but he's going to get the job done. Uh, Steelers, I think they look inside. Inside linebacker, they have Vince Williams there. Uh, they have Devin Bush. I think they need another inside linebacker, though. Jacob Phillips out of LSU, um, not going to be the the prospect that everyone was thinking he was going to be. I thought Patrick Queen was the guy that really stepped up. That said, Phillips was the leading tackler there at, at LSU. Um, I think you know the instincts aren't always there. You know he doesn't always. Um, you know you can see the athleticism. He's able to make plays, move over a couple of holes laterally. So the quickness is absolutely there. Um, diagnosing plays pretty well. Doesn't always take the right angle to the football. But uh, I think round four feels pretty nice, and I think the Steelers get a pretty good athlete there. Uh, Green Bay, I think they need another inside linebacker. They do have Oren Burks, and they have Christian Kirksey now. They get better speed uh, at the inside linebacker position. I'm looking at Troy Dye, a guy who can play inside. He can potentially play outside, 6'3", 231, uh, 231 pounds. And, and with Troy Dye, this is a guy, veteran player, a guy that led the the Oregon Ducks coming into a senior season You know, each of the first three years. Uh, over, let's see, 391 tackles, 41 and a half going for loss, 13 sacks, five interceptions, 14 pass breakups, four forced fumbles, a fumble return that he returned for a touchdown. Guy who makes plays all over the field. Uh, The problem for him more than anything else was um, I I, I thought that he he struggled setting an edge, you know, um, on the outside because there were times where he'd end up outside and he struggled there. I think coming and filling in some of the holes, 
Um, I, I thought he struggled there at times. Really, when he was getting behind uh, the line, you know, getting into the line of scrimmage and making plays there, um, was you know showing off some of the athleticism. Um, but a lot of those tackles, when you look at that 391, uh, if he wasn't making them around that line of scrimmage, a lot of them were making were being made six, seven, eight yards down the field, really making those running guys down from behind, which is concerning. Is he putting himself in the right position to make a play? And so that for all that productivity, I think this is a guy that has some questions to his game, has some holes, and uh, round number four actually makes a lot of sense. I think Green Bay gets the guy. You get him in there with those veterans there on the inside, especially Christian Kirksey, and uh, you know this is a guy that's going to give you a little bit of speed. Um Looking at it, I've got, uh, let's see, you know, Jacksonville, I think they need to get an edge rusher. Um, you know, I'm Khalid Kareem is, is a big physical dude, 6'4", 268 pounds out of Notre Dame. Um, you know, he was kind of the thunder to Julian Aquara's lightning for the, the fighting Irish. I think the Dolphins need a defensive end as well. Uh, Nick Coe, 6'5", 280, coming out of Auburn. The junior decides to, to enter the draft after his junior season. Very much an underachiever uh, more than anything else. Um, had uh, played in nine games, 15 tackles, three tackles for loss, and that's pretty much it. And, and a guy that couldn't beat out uh, Big Cat Bryant at the other defensive end position um, opposite uh, Marlon Davidson. Um his year was his sophomore year in, in 2018. In nine games, 13 and a half tackles for loss and seven sacks. He was really being counted upon to be that guy uh, to take some of that pressure off of Marlon Davidson and uh, couldn't take advantage of some of the one-on-one matchups and uh, you know, kind of had a disappointing junior season. A guy that I really wanted to see come back for one more year, but you know, he ended up entering the draft fourth round, you know, that's probably around the range that he could go. He could end up falling, you know, falling in the draft a little bit as well. So those are our defensive ends, our defensive tackles, and our linebackers. I did say that we're going to go position by position, but as I started looking at this and going through it, I was like, you know what, let's actually go through and actually take a look at um, everyone all at once. You know, that's 12 defensive defensive ends that came off the board. Young, Epinesa, Gross Matos, Weaver, Highsmith, Lynch, uh, Anai, uh, Zuniga, uh, Raekwon Davis, uh, Khalid Kareem, and, and uh, Alton Robinson. Um, defensive tackle, and you really have to throw uh, Strobridge into this group, even though he is a 34 defensive end. He's registered as a defensive tackle for the draft. Uh, 11 defensive tackles, so Brown and Kinlaw at the top. And then after that, Matabuike, uh, Blaylock, I'm sorry, Blacklock, Davidson, Gallimore, and uh, and Jordan Elliott, uh, Jordan Elliott, really it's Jordan Elliott, then Devon Hamilton, then Neville Gallimore, uh, then Lecky Fotu, Jason Strobridge, and uh, Richard Lawrence, and then linebackers, outside backers. I actually have ten coming off the board in the first four rounds: Isaiah Simmons, Kalevin Chason, and Zach Bond in round one. Um, Julian Aquara, Terrell Lewis in round two. And then uh, Curtis Weaver, and I actually mentioned him at defensive end, so he doesn't count in this in this group of ten. Uh, but Akeem Davis, Gaither, Josh Uche, Daryl Taylor, Jonathan Greenard, and Anthony Jennings. And really, Greenard can count as a defensive end. You can kind of swap Weaver and and Greenard there if you want to. 
And then uh, inside backer, you know, I'm actually kind of surprised that uh, when I looked at it all, when it was all said and done, that I had this many inside linebackers coming off the board. Um, but uh, total of 10. So you're talking, you know, Patrick Queen, Kenneth Murray, Logan Wilson, uh, Malik Harrison, Marcus Bailey, and, and Jordan Brooks. Jordan Brooks actually coming off the board in round two ahead of Logan Wilson, Harrison, and, and Bailey. And then Sean Bradley, Willie Gay, Troy Dye, and Jacob Phillips. So in total, you know, we've covered quite a few players. And, uh, you know, I, I think, you know, we're just getting started here with these these uh, these four positions. Um, you know, it's 41 players that we've discussed. We're going to go ahead and take a look at the remainder of this position, uh, these three positions, four positions, excuse me. Um, I've got quite a few defensive ends that I end up am expecting to come off the board um, in round seven, especially uh, Michael Dana, uh, Kendall Coleman, I think are going to come off the board. A lot of guys that are uh, FCS products as well. And uh, a kid from Ferris state. Um, you know, if you remember Zach Seiler, this is a kid who I think could potentially end up having a bigger impact than Seiler has thus far at the NFL level. Uh, and then we'll jump into the corners and the safeties. Um, you know, we've got a lot of content that we're going to have to get through in our next podcast if I'm going to be able to put out my um, final mock draft. But, you know, we're talking 29 corners and we're talking at the safety position another 20 safeties. So we'll get through all of them. And uh, like I said, my final podcast before the draft will go through my final first round mock and uh, we'll go team by team, take a look at things. We may talk a little bit about what I expect to see on day two. And then after the draft, we'll kind of take a look at how teams did. Did they address all of their needs? Were there some holes that uh, that they missed out on? And uh, we'll kind of take things from there. So I hope you've enjoyed the content. I hope everyone is being safe, COVID-19 and everything else. Hope you've... Uh, Hope you've been along for the ride all the way from from episode one. Um, if not, if you if this is one of if you're new to the podcast, welcome to the program, welcome to the show, uh, welcome to my madness. This is my passion. I enjoy the draft. Twenty years of putting together mock drafts. I started when I was in college, and I'm putting them together ever since. And uh, you're ready for the draft. Doc, uh, dot com got fired up um, back in 2014. My my wife. Um, and really, I think it was 2014, 2015. And my wife really said, look, you've got to get the content out. you got to share it with everybody. And uh, Ready for the Draft podcast was born in 2018, continuing to bring things together. I love talking about the draft. I love talking about the, the prospects, talking about the team needs, breaking things down, trying to see where everything is going to go when it's all said and done. And uh, you can't predict the trades. That's the one thing you can't predict. So you know there's going to be a ton of trades, you know, especially, you know, not only day one, but really day two and day three is where you're going to see a ton of trades. So it's kind of hard to predict, but it's still a lot of fun to be able to project things. And uh, that's really what we're doing here. Hope you've enjoyed things. Hope you've enjoyed the ride thus far. Got a little, little bit left to go before uh, we call it quits for the 2020 podcast season. But uh, in any event, have a good week, everyone. And we'll talk soon. In fact, uh, we'll be talking again tomorrow. So for readyforthedraft.com, again, this has been the Ready for the Draft podcast. I've been your host, Greg Schutz. Take care, everyone, and I am 
out of here.